Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hi, this is Tom Salemi, Content Director at Healthogy. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. Uh, happy to be here with our host, Steve Krupa. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm doing great. About a week removed from uh, the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit. Still a little bit hungover. How about yourself? Yeah, I thought it was a, a great summit and uh, been taking in what I learned there over the last couple of days. And I'm looking forward to the release of all the content so I can and check some of that out again. Excellent. Well, one of the... the people I enjoyed speaking with there was Anita Promota of Own Outcomes, and you've uh, had her as a, a guest on the show. Yeah, she's next up. She's a wonderful person. Um, we're sort of uh, going back to bundled payments, uh, similar to our uh, interview with Steve Wiggins, and she's got a different business model in that area, uh, whereas Steve, I think, is a combination of a software provider and a services provider. Um, I think Anita's goal is to provide software to the providers so they can they can manage this process themselves. So it's a very interesting interview. And she does seem to have a real uh, human quality about her. She's very mm-hmm. positive. Uh, her LinkedIn description is, is very hopeful and just very, very people-centric. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, a lot of the interview will talk about how she believes that payment reform equals better health care. Um, she has a, a, a really a, a total focus in that area. In terms of the idea that technology should be making healthcare better, the healthcare experience better, um, and help uh, families take care of their loved ones who are sick better, and uh, she does a good job of articulating um, the way she feels about that in this interview. Excellent. Well, let's uh, let's let her speak for herself and, and get into this great interview. Welcome to the podcast, Anita. Thank you, Steve. Glad to be here. So there's a lot of activity uh, in the bundled payment space. This is a space that's very interesting to you. Uh, You've got a fantastic background, uh, professional background on the uh, electronic health record side, having spent a fair amount of time at Epic, um, and some very impressive uh, relationships with large organizations where you are a board member. But as a beginning for me, Give me a sense for you know, how you arrived into this space, what, what of your background informed your interest here and led you to start your company. Uh, it's a fair question, uh, Steve. So in terms, of, uh, in terms of what's happening in healthcare, I think it's so terribly obvious uh, from an economic perspective how unsustainable the spiraling costs are. But also from a human perspective, for me, you know, my dad is very uh, is a very sick person. So if he was at any of my customer sites, uh, if he was a patient at any one of my customers, the CEO will probably know his name because he'll be one of the five sickest people that uh, any of my customers take care of. So for me, it's, it's a, uh, the, the human side of healthcare is very, very bothersome in terms of how fragmented that patient experience is. Uh, so uh, when 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 we saw uh, the opportunity for different forms of payment reform, uh, you know, I, we felt very encouraged. We looked at this and we said, "Wow, uh, you know, uh, we know we know that doctors genuinely want to give our patients very good care." I, as a daughter, I take my dad to the doctors, and uh, I'm very grateful to them for the outstanding care that he receives. 
uh, but then the incentives are not set up very well, right? And so when we saw uh, when we saw bundle payments come through, uh, we were like, wow, how cool uh, that our government is so progressive in terms of thinking about what using its legislative power uh, to uh, perpetuate positive change in society. Things I like about bundles. So when we saw this, we said, you know, it is simple. It is monumentally simpler than something more complex like ACOs. Second, it is retrospective. It exercises the same muscles as you need for ultimately risk, being risk-taking, but it doesn't do it completely. You're not completely exposed. You know, there's risk corridors. It's it's within a very tight set of guardrails. You get a chance to uh, practice all the muscles for risk and become more and more accountable. And third, uh, it addresses the fragmentation of care issue mm-hmm. because when you have very sick patients, that's that's what essentially makes the difference between a win and a, a lose from a patient and a family perspective. So when we saw this, we said this is very easy for the providers to voluntarily sign up for, and chances are if there is sufficient voluntary sign up, sooner than later it's going to some of them are going to start becoming mandatory. Again, we've been positively surprised by the enthusiasm of our government uh, in making the joint care replacement bundles mandatory. Sure. It was quicker. It's quicker than we expected, and uh, we had huge support of it and eager to help our customers embrace it. Well, let me, let me take a step back for a second. the The idea that 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 there's uh, there's a benefit for the patient in bundled payments is is interesting to me, and, I, and I'll I'll tell you why. When I talk to physicians, they love fee for service medicine. Right, they love the idea that they can provide a unit's worth of work and get reimbursed for it. So when we mm-hmm. begin to think about bundled payments, I always think about it as a cost containment strategy first. How how do I go from that to thinking about it as a a better care strategy? So let's let's take the example of knee replacements. I'm not a physician, right? But it's pretty obvious that you can have the world's greatest orthopod performing, giving you a prosthesis that's highly precision engineered, and then, you know, you're there in the hospital for two, three days. But from a patient's perspective, the success is not that surgery. The success is being able to walk again, walk again and be pain-free, right? Right. That's what the patient is solving for. So, uh, so, it's, so the way a bundle payment is set up is now every single person in that continuum has incentive to help the patient get to where they need to get to, which is walk again. That's what an outcome measure is from a patient's perspective or a family member's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yes, if you do that in a cost-conscious fashion, then everybody, as an entire society, we win. And and I, I, I'm certainly yeah. sympathetic uh, to the physician perspective, which is, you know, I have a unit of responsibility, and I, I'm supposed to turn it into a unit of excellence, and then I get a pay, get paid a unit of payment. Right, so that's right. that's the way traditionally oppositions or surgeons have thought about things. Uh, but you know, and so therefore, it's a little bit of a leap to say from get, we have to get a little bit past the unit of excellence from an individual's perspective and think about that unit of excellence from a patient's perspective and say a joint replacement is about a patient being able to walk pain-free. And to me, bundle payments is the path to get there. Yeah, you know, it's, it occurs to me I uh, that that patients do not see their doctors or really get a lot of support, generally speaking, uh, post-care delivery, right? Post-acute, I mm-hmm. guess, would be, uh, would be the way they, they think about it. And 
you know, for our listeners, bundled payments refer to an episode of care, so a knee replacement. I guess from the moment you decide to get the, re, re, uh, the knee replacement to the point in time in which you've been discharged and some point after discharge, say 90 days or something like that, which suggests that there is an amount of care that takes place for a fixed amount of money and that the providers are responsible for delivering all the care necessary to have that become a successful episode of care um, Mm -hmm. and coordinate that. And it seems to me that there's a lot of coordination, particularly in your example of a knee replacement, that would have to to take place post-discharge. And that's not something that I, from what I can tell, is done very well today in fee-for-service medicine. Would you agree with that? It's a fair comment, and uh, some of it is structural. Some of it is tradition, some of it is structural, and some of it is incentive, right? So traditionally, so if, you, if we've invested in hospitals as a country, you know, we have set them up as institutions that have to do occupancy management, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, from a business perspective, it's an occupancy management business to have highest utilization, um, a little bit like a hotel, right? And then from a clinical perspective, it is getting patients through and receiving world-class care within the four walls of that hospital. Today, we have to fold down those walls of the hospital and reach into the patient's lives, whether it's in the post-acute setting or in their homes and community setting, and take them through that 60 or 90 days before they can walk and sustainably walk and be comfortable again. That was the goal in the first place, and today we have the opportunity to start thinking about that. It's a new competence, and every new competence is uncomfortable, uh, but it's, it's the right competence to acquire as a society. Yeah. And so, so tell me how it all works. If, if I'm sure that there's a, there's a lot of people delivering care to a patient, including the hospital, the primary care doctor, the orthopedic surgeon, et cetera, and a post-acute. You're going to the, – the, somebody is going to receive, let's call it the hospital for the, for, in this case – a fixed amount of money for that case. How does the bundled payment apparatus work? So there's a couple of ways you can make this work, right? So the CMS approach is a retrospective bundle, which is uh, which is essentially everybody keeps providing what they're providing, uh, but then an, on, on a retrospective basis, we'll you know add up all those numbers and then we'll say, did you where did you come in relative to a t- target price? And then the risk taker on record either gets a check back because they beat the target price as in came in under it, or they have to write a check because they spent more than they should have spent and they didn't manage to that number. Uh, so that's, that's sort of the retrospective approach and that's the CMS approach. There is one CMS model, and uh, we're also starting to see some examples in the commercial world of something more prospective where uh, then, you know, they're getting, a, they're getting a bonus of money and now the hospital has to break the dollar and pay out claims as well. And that's a whole lot harder, right? So the model for, uh, at least in the example of the BPCI, has uh, substantially fewer sign-ups than the model two, which is much more, uh, which is a retrospective model. Uh, so the infrastructure, it le- leverages the existing infrastructure. So everyone's doing what they're doing, except, uh, you know, Ahead of time, they're trying to coordinate. During the episode, they're trying to coordinate with each other. When I say ahead of time, uh, you know, we've seen hospitals that are starting to be very thoughtful about sort of narrower networks of post-acute facilities that they will partner more closely with. 
Then we're seeing hospitalists come in, and uh, some hospitalist companies are also able to round at these post-acute facilities, and so they are some part of the, that glue. Then we're seeing some uh, conveners, very progressive conveners, that have stepped in, and they are offering that care coordination apparatus, uh, and ultimately all these players come together to quarterback this patient to walking again. Mm-hmm. So if I think about it from the orthopedic surgeon's point of view, he is going to be paid some fixed reimbursement rate for the effort of the surgery. Um, and how how is and is the rest of the network of providers going to get paid off of a fee schedule? And it's the responsibility of the risk taker in the bundled payment to um, manage the utilization of, of those services? Is that is that the way to think about yeah, it? Yeah, that's that's structurally how the retrospective bundle payment works. So now that if you take that orthop- uh, orthopedic example, uh, the orthopedic is now motivated to worry about uh, the cost of the prosthesis. Uh, you know, is, is this really the right device I need for a given patient? Uh, they are worried about, you know, does this patient need to go to an inpatient rehab or will they be better off uh, having outpatient rehab? Uh, and then, you know, does this patient need a nursing home? And if yes, for how long do they need it for? And if there are 27 nursing homes in the catchment area. Which three are the most likely uh, uh, candidates that's a good match for this patient based on their prior track records? And th- those are all, you know, analytical uh, decisions as opposed to uh, sort of afterthoughts, if you will. Sure. Now you're leading with you know, information-based decisions, uh, and you, you're paying attention to each one of these steps. And when very smart people like orthopedics pay attention to each one of these steps, good things are bound to happen. The patient wins, and it will be done in an economically efficient way. So where does your company come into the process of the bundled payment system? Uh, so we've helped our customers very early in the process. Uh, you know, we were helping our customers pick the bundles that they wanted to sign up for. Uh, so from an analytical perspective, that uh, that requires uh, reviewing the data that they have, both from internal systems, uh, whether it's their costing labor systems, uh, some some clinical data and some claims data. So we help with that. Once our customers go live on these risk-based arrangements, then there is a process of retrospective analytical support, you know, what did we what did we hope for, where are we relative to what did we hope for, and then identifying specifically, you know, what is what is some very tactical stuff that we can do. And we do most of this uh, programmatically. And then we also help with, uh, from a point of care perspective, um, you know, in, what we found is, you know, there's sort of like three levers, and uh, levers of economics in the bundle payments world. Uh, it, I'm oversimplifying this, but, you know, there's a very hard job, which is lower readmission. Uh, there is a much easier job. It's hard operationally, but, you know, intellectually much easier, which is manage, uh, you know, the utilization around post-acute services. And the third lever is uh, sort of the internal cost within the hospital. And so we help, uh, we help this. one of the ways we help is uh, we built a transition care model that can predict on an N equals one, so individual patient level. For this particular patient, this is the right site of care they should be uh, discharged to. This is how long they need to be there or what services they need to receive and how long they need to receive it for. And then the last decision is, you know, here is a plethora of choices of various providers that could do it. But then we've looked at, you know, a named provider. So in this particular case, you know, the Jones Nursing Home has been very good Mm -hmm. at, patients of Hispanic descent 
with comorbid diabetes and mild depression, when they're having a knee, a knee replacement, they're fantastic at that cohort. They're monumentally better than their counterparts uh, in that particular area. And so flashing all of that up ahead, well ahead of time, you know, right when you're planning the surgery as well as throughout that continuous care. And the last piece that we help with is gain-sharing models for physicians so that there's that economic incentive and alignment. So, and this is largely software, right? Is it software yeah. and software-enabled services? So where you're, you're connecting to, I assume, the EMR data, the financial databases, where are you getting your information from and how is your software uh, working? So our software has multiple sources of data. Yes, the usual suspects. So we get feed from clinical information systems. We get uh, feed from labor and cost uh, cost information systems in hospitals. We certainly are beneficiaries of, uh, of the claims that are available. That's the administ- administrative side of the data. But in addition to that, we also mash up uh, a whole bunch of other sources external to this. So, for example, uh, you know, we mash census data along with environmental uh, environmental variables like air quality, pollution, what have you. Uh, based on the census data, we uh, we know uh, we know the likelihood that this patient probably doesn't have transportation and needs a ride to a post-acute uh, appointment. Uh, so we we include all of that into consideration. Uh, as we um, as, as we come up with recommendations of gaps in care or risk areas for a given patient, we, uh, so so that so, so for us we think about data as any and all data that completes a picture of a patient, not just in terms of the specific procedure that they're going undergoing, but in terms of their overall life. What do we know about the life of this patient? And is that data readily available from, from multiple sources? Does the hospital provide you with that data? Do you get it from out external data sources? Where does it all come from? So uh, multiple sources, um, certainly multiple sources. Yes, the hospitals uh, offer, uh, share their clinical data and, uh, you know, cost and labor data with us. Uh, then there's, uh, there's a whole bunch of public databases and certain proprietary ones that we pay and subscribe to that then we mash up and try to glean that complete picture of a patient. Uh, now, I, I wish, it, you know, you know the data is not zero or one, it's a whole bunch of decimals in between. So there's always gonna be sparseness issues, there's always gonna be quality issues. That's just the nature of the work we do. Excellent, excellent. I'm talking with uh, Anita Promota from uh, Owned Outcomes on Bundled Payments. I wanna go back to uh, one of the points that you made just to make sure that I understand, gain sharing for physicians. Um, so what do you mean by that? Is, is there an opportunity in this model for a physician that has a lower utilization or fewer readmission rates or some metric to actually be paid a bonus based on their performance? Uh, correct. So there is, uh, so it's, you know, this anti-kickback rules, and so there's a very specific carve-out relative to those anti-kickback rules that it, within uh, the bundles world, uh, statutorily, yes, you are allowed to, uh, you know, be economically aligned with a physician to pay out that bonus based on achievement of certain health goals or quality goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and, it's, and, and, you know, you're asking, you're asking doctors, uh, you're asking physicians to perform, activity, reorganize their activities, 
uh, and you're asking them to pay attention to some other things in addition to the clinical responsibility that they already have always taken for the patient. So it makes a lot of sense to push for that economic alignment as well. It gets everybody a reason to focus. From a standpoint of your revenue model, are you, fo- are you focused on basically a SaaS model where you're charging for your services and software? Are you getting involved in managing the costs with your customers? How do you uh, get reimbursed for the value that you bring into this process? So um, we, we do have a somewhat traditional pricing model, software as a service. Uh, we have some examples where we partner a little bit more closely with our customers, and we have uh, opportunities to earn certain bonuses based on contributing to certain forms of success. Mm-hmm. Where do you think- our goal in the long run is to be as closely aligned with our customers as possible? Because uh, I feel almost a little disingenuous uh, saying that you know I will continue to be fee for service and somehow support you in getting away from fee for service. Sort of morally gray, right? Sure, sure. Well, absolutely, but I mean, it depends on how how well your customers are doing with your software. I mean, if they are knocking the cover off the ball, so to speak, and and uh, reducing costs and, uh, and and having a nice margin on their on their risk business, then they would want to theoretically just pay you for the value of the software. Um, and uh, that's interesting you brought that up. There is one other wrinkle in there. Our customers often also want certainty from a budgeting perspective. Mm-hmm. And that was a surprise. I didn't expect it. Uh, so for them, it was more valuable to know exactly what this is going to cost. They put in their budget, and then you know they have an approved budget, and then they can go from there. And that uncertainty was very uncomfortable, even though I, want, uh, you know, I suggested that economic alignment or willingness to put ourselves on the line. Right. Uh, so that was, that was a learning lesson. So when we think about bundled payments, we think it's better for the patients because the care outcomes will be better. And the reason that is is because the entire community of providers or or team of providers that's brought to bear on a case uh, will be incented to provide excellent care along the way. And that will reduce primarily, I would guess, readmissions or post-acute care intensity because the better the care that's delivered, the less... Um, you would need to go in and, and, and do additional rehabilitation or have a readmission, readmission due to infection and so forth. And we think it's going to cost less, less um, because there's a bogey that's been set up by CMS that says this is how much these cases have cost us. We want to save 2%. And if you can deliver this under that amount, you can keep the savings for yourselves. Um, how well do you think those ideas are working and will continue to work on a going forward basis? Uh, so from a human perspective, if I was a patient, I was 79 years old, I've been on Dilaudid for four days because I had a GI obstruction. And then if I have to uh, somehow listen to a bunch of post-discharge, I mean, the discharge instructions, and then, then they give me a long list because I'm supposed to have choice in my post-acute providers. Uh, they give me a really long list and I'm supposed to go through that and somehow pick my own nursing home and then figure out transportation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm well enough to walk, so it's not like I need an ambulance, but then I'm, I'm probably cognitively, temporarily compromised. Um, and then, you know, when I get home, then I'm a little confused still and I can't tell which pills I'm supposed to take. I've forgotten half the instructions. There is a human cost to this. And it, it's probably several days or sometimes even weeks depending on 
what else I had going on before I'm up to my usual self uh, and I'm able to take care of myself. So from a human perspective, uh, from a human dignity perspective, boy, this is a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. Economically, you ask a very fair question, Steve. There is a lot of, uh, I think it's early days. Um, I think uh, I think it's early days. It's too early to tell whether this is for a fact, uh, you know, going to be successful or not. The intentions are very good. The program has been relatively well thought through. As with everything else, there is, you know, limitations and there is some 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 things that the features that you put into a program that have unintended consequences. In the example of the CMS bundle, CMS has been extraordinarily receptive uh, to commentary from the various constituents and have has constantly been refining the program. Uh, the answer, my answer, will be uh, too early to tell. Uh, the court, you can't measure these things month to month or quarter to quarter because uh, you know. By the time you break it down to an individual episode at an individual hospital, there is basic statistics will tell you there's not enough volume and low volumes cause volatility in numbers. Uh, so we need more time to see moving averages and trend lines that we can believe. Um, and then that so too too soon to tell is my answer. Intentions are good, too soon to tell. Too much change underway. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, look, CMS is is attacking this problem from from multiple angles. The three that come to mind for me are first, uh, bundled payments, right? Uh, uh-huh. The other would be accountable care organizations where look, physician groups end up taking a, a capitation premium for all the care for all the members, like a health insurance company. And the third is sort of the star ratings and the measurements of readmission rates and the, the penalties for hospitals that have high admission rates. It seems to me mm-hmm. they've got a general commitment to this idea that if hospitals are providing great care, then patients should be able to generally go home and and not have to come back to the hospital. Is is bundled payments just one one method uh, where that it, the effect of which is really trying to avoid readmission to the hospital and and move care outside to less expensive places in the post acute setting? Um, I think you're absolutely right. It is one of several initiatives. Uh, you know, I once read that, uh, you know, uh, food was very expensive in the 40s and 50s in the United States. It costed as much, uh, well north of 30% of GDP. We, we didn't know how to produce enough food to feed our growing population. And then it took a series of efforts in private and public partnerships before now, I think we brought it down to what two percent of GDP, and we know how to feed uh, our people, and we can be a net exporter of food if we need. And uh, and and so that's a great example to learn from. And I think it's very similar to what's happening, what we see in healthcare right now, uh, where you know this as with everything else, it, it needs to be a multi. It is a multifaceted problem, and it needs a multifaceted approach. Uh, and so that's exactly what I think the government uh, seems to be doing. And bundle payments, to your point, is one of several uh, threads that we have to pursue so that we touch different parts of the care continuum and touch different constituents in the care continuum. Uh, I, for one, would like to see the opportunity to collaborate a little bit more closely with pharmaceuticals and medical device companies uh, because I feel like, you know, uh, somehow, uh, you know, intentionally or otherwise we sort of left them out. They are important. They're eager to participate. And I would like to see us listen more closely and collaborate with them. Yeah, it would be interesting to see, for example, orthopedic companies uh, participate on the risk side of uh, of the bundled payment. Um, I don't know if that's going to happen, but 
but somebody will probably try that. Of, of the three methods that I just sort of laid out for you, I know you've got a commitment to bundled payments, but my methods are sort of the ACOs, bundled payments, penalties for readmissions and, and other things. Um, which do you think is going to be the most effective if you had to make a bet today? I know you're make, I know we think bundled payments will work, but which of those three do you think has the most legs to it today? Uh, wow, that's, that's a good question. I haven't thought about it as having to pick one mm-hmm. because I see them as addressing very, very different things. Uh, the, my biggest criticism on ACO or my biggest concern, should I say, is how complex it is. Just standing one up and maintaining it is so expensive that it makes it hard for smaller organizations. But in theory, it can, it can actually help a lot of the larger organizations. And uh, so, so from that perspective, it, it's limited uh, for some people, uh, but good for others. So that's sort of how I think about ACOs. I like the readmissions penalty a lot. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a, uh, you know, there's a shame list and you'll get on it and you'll get fined and, you know, it will publish it in public. Um, you know, that's, it has its benefits. Uh, you know, from a social science perspective, it's questionable how long you can keep that shame list going and still keep teeth within it for people to worry about it sufficiently. Right. Um, well, they're also know, charging them some yeah. money if they're bad too, right? Exactly. So there is there's definitely economic teeth that can give it a little bit of a ramp. Uh, but, uh, you know, as a patient, as a community member, the way I think about it is if we have avoidable readmissions, we are at war against it. As a society, as a country, we are at war against avoidable uh, readmissions. And so this is one of the tools we're going to use to see if we can go after it. Of course we should, right? And yeah. and uh, what I would like to see, though, is a little bit more information sharing in terms of how some of the ones that have dropped off the shameless have dropped off of it. Because at the end of the day, this is healthcare, and uh, there is a much there's a very big collective goal we are chasing, and they, and instead of uh, we're not competing with each other, we're actually competing against readmissions of the enemy, right? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So let's talk about your business and and how you think about it. You know, I'm as a VC, I can tell you, companies that are doing population health. Uh, trying to to do bundled payments, trying to do uh, readmissions prevention, creating technologies and software to help in all these areas are in the market today looking for funding. And so it's a competitive place in a very new area. Um, Give me a sense for what you think the parameters of competition are for your company as as primarily a software company and how you're creating a strategy to differentiate yourself relative to others that'll be, that are either competing for this business or will be competing for this business uh, in the future? So before I answer that, I'll say, you know, I, I, I had a formal academic education at Penn, mm-hmm. and I had life education at the Faulkner School of Business in Verona, Wisconsin. <laughs> and, I, and I was taught to focus on doing a good job and not worry about other people and stay laser focused on what I'm chasing. Okay. So the way, uh, and I, I take that lesson very seriously. They didn't so teach the you that at uh, Wharton, did you? They taught you what, worry about what other people are doing. Is that what you mean? Uh, well, <laughs> Wharton taught me. Wharton taught me to focus on my job, but also Wharton had a class on, you know, competitive benchmarking. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, this, this merits to everything, but we, I've sort of taken the life lessons very seriously in terms of put your head down and remember what the enemy is. So, for example, when we think about transitions of care, we don't think about here are five people and here's how they're approaching the problem. Instead, we think about 
what is fundamentally the who's the enemy enemy is avoidable readmission enemy is a suboptimal side of site of care enemy is alert fatigue uh, in as as one of the enemies in your right software you worry about alert fatigue enemy is lack of engagement because you know they your users are crowded up those are the enemies we fight mm-hmm. and we think of each one of them very very rigorously and we engineer not just our product and feature set but everything we do in our business everything we talk about every day in our company is very specific to each one of those problems and we do it with an exhaustive amount of rigor um i don't know that we uh, we we care to talk about this particular vendor is doing this at this place is they in fact we think they're also partners in the world because they at least we have we have a lot in common because we care about the same problem okay well you you opened up the door for me so i'm going to go in for a second um your background with epic you told me that that uh you started out as as a as a coder and programmer and and ultimately became the cfo of what is a very substantial company uh in the electronic health record space and and, and healthcare information technology in general and it sounds like that experience has informed a lot of your view about uh how to run a business and how to approach building a business now of course it's a it's a private company and it's a big private company so a lot of a lot of what goes on inside of epic is a little bit secretive or unknown so tell me of the culture that you were exposed to there it sounds like one of the things you've taken away is do your job and do it well and uh you will have a competitive advantage in that way what what were some of the other special things about epic uh being there for the time period that you were and being obviously a chief financial officer there that you're now applying to your startup uh we play for the long haul you know this is this is a marathon it's going to mm-hmm. take years and years and i'm young enough to have staying power and have the commitment to fundamentally care about what you're doing know why you're doing what you're doing uh and uh, not 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 all of this is observable on a spreadsheet but you know spreadsheets don't inspire you to uh, inspire you to you know think about the problems that you think about when you're brushing your teeth in the morning right what inspires you is because you're the, you're a daughter of a very sick person that you there are members in the community uh, that are receiving suboptimal care and you are and, and what you put up with is what you stand for so you can watch that and be okay, do nothing that means you're okay with it right uh, so uh, we we think about our features that we think about usability uh, and we think about the problems our customers are trying to solve for the long haul because our customers are going through a very difficult phase in healthcare uh with this transition and so it's, it's a little bit of a, they have to refuel this jet in midair so when you think about it from a supply perspective so they are delivering the same outstanding care that they can for each patient but then from a payment perspective they have multitude of contracting arrangements and they they have to they, they sort of have to reconcile these two things all the time and this period this is not something that we're going to cut over in one year right this is going to last for years and years and years where we're going to be in this next world uh and depending on who you ask god knows how long it will last uh some people tell me that you know uh, there's going to be five or six systems in the country with some catholic heritage and the rest of them are all going to be privately owned enterprises <laughs> uh i don't know that we particularly care about how that will shake out because i don't know that anyone's guess is that much better than the other uh but we we know that our customers need help because they are doing something very important which is uh you know the, the other thing the other valuable lesson is 
simplify, right? Sure. So recently I had to take a relative to a dermatologist and he had biopsies on his leg and on his head. Uh, and this is for a, for his, uh, for certain things on his skin. And this re- and the doctor looked at this and he told me, uh, you know, he told me, you know, Anita, here's how I want you to think about this. One end of the spect- uh, spectrum, uh, you know, basal cell carcinoma. Very slow, uh, not going to really hurt you, uh, but will still be proactive with it. You don't need to blink an eyelid, right? The other end of the spectrum, uh, when, when we do these kind of biopsies, is melanoma, mm-hmm. right? And that one, you, you worry about it. it. It can be very fast. It can get pervasive very quickly. And then somewhere in the middle, but closer to BCC, will be squamous cell carcinoma. So uh, with your uncle, we have... Uh, we have one BCC and one cell, right? And don't worry, both of them will cut and burn. This is what the doctor told me. And then I thought about that interaction and I realized, gosh, you know, he took all the complexity of medicine and explained it in 15 seconds in an intuitive manner to me. He explained it in a way uh, with compassion and he gave me hope and he told me that he had it under control, which means he owned the complexity and they gave me the benefit of his competence. That's what I feel like we have to do in technology. That's what that's what, that's what Judy taught us how to do. Difficult for us, easy for them, right? I and like so that. those are things that those are the things that I think we need to own. And in technology, we need to own that as well, right? Uh, it's, I had a chance once to uh, you know uh, learn about the Ferrari factory, right? And and you know what they told me after you know they dye their own leather, world class machinery that they make, and they they said you know all of this is fantastic, but really for a driver, it's a stick shift and a bunch of pedals, <laughs> right? And we have to deliver the driving experience through that stick and a bunch of pedals. And it's, it's the same thing with our software, right? And we have yep. to own that and take it seriously. We can't hide behind complexity and, and, and say that's the user's problems. We can't speak in technical jargon because that's not what our doctors do to us when we are sick and vulnerable. So uh, th- those are the those are some of the things we try to think about every day and try really hard uh, and uh, try really hard in terms of how we work at it every day. Very good, very good. I'm I'm speaking with uh, Anita Promoter from Owned Outcomes, the CEO there. It's a startup offering software and services to providers that are uh, have decided to take on the challenge of of bundled payments, primarily with uh, on on Medicare. Um, last question really for you, and thank you very much for your time. It's been wonderful talking to you. Um, give me a sense for the culture at Owned Outcomes. How does it feel to show up for work every day? Uh, what, do, what do you get from your people? What do you try to give to your people? A startup is a risky in, endeavor for everybody, investors, the CEO, the employees. Um, how, do you, uh, how do you approach your, the human dynamic at your company? Um, so we are here because we care. We are here because we are embarrassed by status quo. And we are here because we have the opportunity to apply our talents to something that's much bigger than any one of us, actually something that's bigger than all of us collectively. So uh, that's who my colleagues are, and, that's, and I feel privileged to work with them every day. Uh, you know, we must set up for the long haul, and a part of that decision we made uh, is to self-fund ourselves to profitability. And that allows us the opportunity to focus on that long haul and own the problems. And sometimes that means it takes a little bit longer. It takes a lot longer sometimes. And sometimes that means you have to backpedal from your original approach and not marry a mistake. Uh, And we allow ourselves the privilege of uh, doing that. 
lot of constructive confrontation um, within within our uh, within our walls, and that's something we're very comfortable because. Uh, you know, ultimately, we have to find the right answer. None of us care individually to be right, but all of us care about finding that right answer. It doesn't matter who it comes from. Uh, so that probably is how I would describe what we do every day for a living. Terrific. Well, thank you very much for your time. Awesome. Thank you again, Steve. Take care. Anita Promoter, thank you for coming on the Breaking Health Podcast and joining us and sharing own outcomes unique story it was a pleasure to meet you at the digital healthcare innovation summit in boston last week it was a great event and for those who were not able to attend good news uh we'll be posting content from the event soon uh, go to digital health summit.com to sign up for the breaking health newsletter and we'll keep you updated on what videos and interviews will be posted on the website and of course pushed out directly to you so don't forget to sign up go to digitalhealthcaresummit.com and supply us with your email and you will be in touch steve krupa another fine interview thanks for leading the breaking health podcast charge shame that the patriots are going to beat your giants this weekend but i'm sure our relationship will survive thanks again for everyone who's listening and tune in next week for another tale of innovation from the Breaking Health Podcast.